0: I don't, I, I don't, Welcome to the New Age Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and with me today, Martin Theobald, and
1: the guy that lied to you about Ian Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a bit
0: harsh to describe yourself as a liar. I never think that of you, Ian. Uh, liar, moron, <laughs> idiot, usual. You were wrong, plain and simple. And to me, he looked ridiculous. He looked like a man who had two deputy dog ears hanging off of his chest. He was so <laughs> flabby and disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> So I watched that fight, and I thought I was thinking, "What is he? Where is he going with this? Is he going to try and? I'm assuming he's going to try and knock him out and every every round. Dillian White just seemed to just control him really easily. What 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 did you guys miss? We going in. We're going in
2: dry with this. So we there's no intro. It's, uh, it's straight into the action. We've, we've got our favourite crisps waffle later. So <laughs> um, well, the first round I thought probably went fairly well in Lewison's favour he actually made White look a bit foolish at times and like there were signs though in the first round like Lewison wasn't keeping his gloves up which is A showboating but B also a way of being very lazy early doors he didn't look in any kind of shape he, frankly, he was in embarrassing shape like for a British title fight I know he's only had a short camp for it but he was in embarrassing shape like, I like Ian he's a good man but that did not reflect well on him at all.
0: Um, so, did he put a ton of weight on from what you'd seen before,
2: or what? No, he's just, he's always been up and down, like, as they said various times on the uh, commentary, you know, he's had a stop-start career, so, uh, he's, since he won the WBO Asia something or other title somehow, um, yeah, he he just, he wasn't in shape for it, now, he's... A slick operator, you could see the amount of shots that White missed with in that first round where Lewison was just slipping shots Um, he wasn't even gloving them for most of the time, he was just like slipping shots and then firing off himself he he looked okay for the first round and then he just like, (laughs) he was just pot shot in looking for the big knockout, it wasn't happening, White was just controlling him from then on, those uppercuts that White was throwing were lovely Um, White you when you watch white you don't realize how big his like wingspan is like his reach is huge but he doesn't really take advantage of it that much um he was throwing more jabs in this fight than probably previously but he's very happy to get in um fight in the pocket and throw you know some nice body shots um but for somebody who's got that natural reach advantage he doesn't necessarily take advantage of
0: it so non-stop uh, stop start career with a non-stop diet uh what... one start so <laughs> you know <laughs> what did you think
1: Terry um if you look at Ian career low weight what is it two forty five pounds walked in at two seventy five or something stupid like that so he was borderline 20 stone if you're a professional athlete and your weight can fluctuate thirty pounds it's somewhat worrying so that's a worry but I think it's been a general trend. In British heavyweights recently If you look at these guys So you've got Chisora He'll probably weigh in for his next fight In the 270's as well Dillian was close to weighing in In the 270's And none of these guys Are of the size That that makes sense So if you look at someone like Joshua Joshua You know Joshua might add an additional stone in weight You know From his lowest to his heaviest But he will keep his weight Within the parameters Which is why he's got to where he has These guys just aren't taking this seriously But in terms of the fight Um There's a rule that I have, and it's this. The fighter who controls the middle ultimately controls the fight. And all Dillian had to do was literally stick his arms straight down the middle, and he could nullify Ian Lewison, because Ian Lewison kept trying to come around the corner. And when and, when when you do that, especially with someone like Dillian, what you'll find is it suits him, because Dillian's not great at going backwards. But what he can do is he can move from side to side. So if you're throwing big, booming right hooks... All he will do is lean to his right and takes the power out of the shots. And it's almost as if Ian's corner didn't say, just be patient. Because that's what the Tibbs guys were saying to Dinian. Be patient, break him down. Because eventually he'll run out of steam. And so as he ran out of steam, if you saw, Dinian start to move through the gears. Because in the ring, you know when someone's power is diminished. So from the middle rounds, Dinian just moved through <clears> the gears. Once he knew that Ian had nothing left. And once he got into that red zone, he just went in. You know, Smashed him to pieces. Don Charles did the compassionate thing Pulled him out in the 10th round It's worrying because that's the second British title fight Don Charles has pulled his own fighter out In the 10th round So he did the same with Chisora in the Fury fight And in that fight Chisora was overweight as well So you almost begin to wonder What's happening in camp that these guys aren't coming in shape I am you know, you want to blame the fighters, but to a certain extent, this is two separate fighters this has happened with. You know, stylistically, they're quite similar, but Chisora shouldn't be coming in the way he is, and neither should Lewiston. So, you know, no one asked these questions of
0: the trainers and says, well, what the hell are you doing behind closed doors for him to be coming in this kind of shape? So now, this is really uh, Dillian White's first meaningful fight, so to speak, certainly in terms of titles, since the Anthony Joshua fight that he, uh, that he lost. So he's come in and now he's a British champion, what happens? What steps do he, does he take next?
2: Well he's got options now in terms of there's a Chisora fight that Hearn's been talking about for a long time, now Chisora, he's probably the odd man out, out of all this because um, you know he's been British title holder many years ago, the first uh, Fury fight he was British title holder, um, so is it a step back for him maybe? There's David Price um, as an option. And when I say step back, I mean for Chisora. But then where does Chisora go? He kind of he flits around a world level but doesn't really solidify his place there. So there's David Price available, but David Price is being steered towards Joshua. You suspect Hearn's long term plan is to get him back in the ring with Anthony Joshua, play on the rivalry. You know, it's one all from uh, the amateurs and then the pros there's all that side of it which i suspect will probably that's a longer term plan in the meantime you know you could defend the british against chisora reasonably um i don't think price will go to british level i think he's hanging around to get exposed at world level um, and then there's maybe the likes of Sam Sexton Who, uh, that was meant to be happening a while back So Sam Sexton could uh, step into it But I don't think we'll see him around British level for that long Because there aren't really that many British heavyweights That are worthwhile watching uh, Watching him fight with
0: uh, Ian Lewison He's now failed, essentially, at British level where does he go next given that I can't imagine he he must have something about him for you guys to have rated him so what happens next for him
1: Um, the man's 35 I think he just turned 35 Um, I've heard conflicting things does he really want to box does he want to fulfil his potential that window's probably gone I think his only question now is how good does he want to be and you'll know that by if he fights again what weight does he come in at if he comes in again in the 270s then the guy's just really picking up money to finance other things I'd imagine if he comes in and he's in the low 17 stones if he's down in the 230s or even just the bottom end of 240 maybe you can look at him and go actually here's a guy who wants to do something because Ian, Ian trains with Dom and Dom Akinladi and Ian are really good friends and I can remember Dom being 20-21 stones and yes you know the guy could hit hard but he wasn't fit and he couldn't move and he took the decision as a man to say right I'm gonna take this seriously I've got one last shot at this and Dom came down from that like, 21-22 stone to about the middle of 17 and you can see the difference in his physique now you know how far he goes I don't know but there's a man who who took control of his own destiny and you know Southern Area champion he's won a belt that he didn't think he would win can Ian do that? maybe but the, you know the ball's in his court now. You know, he's been exposed, you know, on national T V, you know, probably could have put on a better fight if he'd been in better shape. What happens if he has more time to prepare for a fight? There are loads of things. But expect to see him in that hinterland between top end of small hall shows and filler on one of the big promoters' cards as well. So you can always feed a heavyweight prospect like a Joseph Parker to Ian Lewis to go, right, let's just see where your level is to British fans. He's He's there to be fed, and I guess it's up to him whether he remains a feeder opponent or he can elevate himself above that
0: so same night burns relic what what, what more we've we got to say what we've we got to say about that sorry,
2: what a fight it was great um Ricky Burns always gives good value for money um you know he's been a little treasure, I suppose to British boxing over the years. I don't like to see Robbie it wasn't a robbery in the sense that Burns won it, but I mean there was a one one eight one ten scorecard that was fucking farcical, frankly. Um Relic was an unknown quantity going into it. Ricky Hatton Fighter Hatton had said that, you know, he's got world level potential, but he have got a padded record going in. But you could see from the off the first three rounds, Relic controlled that fight. Um he was switching from Orthodox to Southport at will. His head movement was sensational, like just always just bobbing, weaving out of range. He was—you could tell from that point on that Ricky Burns was in for a hard fight. It had echoes of the kind of um, Zlatican in unknown quantity coming in and causing a problem. Um, but Ricky Burns worked his way back in through the middle rounds. He started to control a bit, uh, and then you started getting the classic Sky uh, commentary going into, say, the ninth round. I think it was where Paul Smith and co. were saying, you know, now's the time that Ricky will start to tee off on this man. Now's the time where, like, those championship rounds come in. At which point, Ricky Burns, like, fell apart to shit again, and Relic just (laughs) completely started to dominate him once again for, like, round 10, 11, 12. Um, It was such a harsh decision on Relic to lose by that wide a margin. I personally had Relic up by a round, You could argue it the other way You could argue it a draw You could say there were two rounds in it To say that Relic won two rounds in total Which what one of the judges said Is just an abomination Um, But I really really enjoyed the fight And uh, I just uh, Ricky Burns You know he's coming towards the tail end of his career Now he deserves something big to go out on In my view
0: Did you see it Terry? Saw
2: bits of it
1: Um, I like Ricky Burns as a person Stylistically does nothing for me um, I think, you know, you're fighting guys at like Relic, I imagine guys at like Crawford would wipe the floor with him. You know, Burns is a world champion by luck rather than by design or by, you know, earning it dessert. Yep. So you look at that and you say, What did this really tell us? You know, Relic's okay, but it seems Hatton's trying to create people in his own image in his gym. Which is reasonable until you realise that his style was very limited and even he must know that. So you know, that, that whole, you know, keep your head moving stuff is is brilliant, but you have to have a bit of science behind it. And I don't think there was any thought in terms of let's take something out of the Burns tank so we can actually stop him. Because that was the only way you were going to win in Scotland, if I'm being honest with you. You had to stop him, and Radis got the power to stop him. But, you know, people complained when Zatican won, what was it, 115, 113 on two cards. They complained about that. Is this poetic justice for Burns? God, I hope not. But if you're Broner watching that, you're like, what's the point? That's how I genuinely feel if I'm Broner. I'm like, what's the point? Because you could just fish someone up from 135 to have a fight with in the States and make just as much money. I don't think Burns brings that level of excitement. I wasn't, No, I'm just... I like Burns as a person. I love his story. And I think, you know, it's good that he's made a living for himself and his family. He's just not my type of boxer to watch or to engage with
2: I think this is one fight where I mean the world title I mean yeah you're right uh, he was given it essentially but that didn't need a world title you could just enjoy that as a fight it was two styles that sort of blended fairly well during the fight the world title was just a a pointless addition to it Um, yeah I think Broner would make easy work of Burns now if I'm honest I think Burns doesn't have that um he didn't have the work rate going into the final rounds that you know, Burns in his prime had. Um, you know, Burns when he was picking up his first world title had that jab pumping all the way through the twelve rounds. Like not necessarily through the first three, but he'd warm up into it. He doesn't have that anymore. Um you know, he's not the fighter that he was. You know, he's up into his third weight as a inverted commas world champion, but um yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see now. I think they're probably. I'd hope that they could get a good cash out fight for him and secure him for good.
1: I'd expect Theophane.
2: I think the next fight will be Theophane. Broders probably looked at that and
1: gone, unless the money's ridiculous, I won't take it. Theophane's at a loose end till the end of the year. You just put Theophane in there. Um, you can sell it on the Mayweather thing, you can sell it on the Al Heyman thing, you can sell it on the London thing. And, you know. It's a fight that sells fear, fame. Like Ricky Burns is a machine in terms of, you know, at their best they just work. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see, and I think for both of them it'll be a good point to cash out from the British fans.
0: Okay, I have a question, right? Um, it's a bit of, it's a one that's been sort of going through my head on the recent weeks, and we've been talking about it, and we have had a question from the audience that's that's we kind of touched on it, but if you. Do you, you just plagiarise in listeners' questions? To some extent, yeah. I mean, I don't know who it was from. It's but like whoever, school all over feel, again. Free, feel, free, <laughs> feel free to be angry at me. Um, if you, say, woke up tomorrow and your, your brain was, uh, your consciousness was in the brain of a young boxer and you're electrifyingly good and you, you, smash, you smashed everyone out in the, in the amateurs and you move up into pro and you are a dangerous boxer is the structure of boxing the way it is at the moment will it hinder your progression because what we've seen in certain like people like say golovkin or aj is that that either people want a massive payday to fight someone who's very very talented to get knocked out as terry's touched on before or they just don't seem to take the fight in the first or you're fighting bums so is the current state of boxing, will that hinder someone's progression if they're extremely talented? And as a sub question to that, has it always been this way, if it is this way, and has it changed since the past? You know, do you know what I mean? No, Terry, you answer because I lost it. So let's go back to the days of the murderer's row,
1: Gaza, Charlie, Burley, and so forth. These were, you know, the days when white fighters and black fighters wouldn't fight, or if a black fighter thought they had to take a dive. So you've always been limited if you're talented and you know you go through to the 50s with the mob control of the fight game this is why you had the WBC being set up in Mexico because they were like our fighters aren't getting the shine they deserve so you, you have these governing bodies in Latin America going we're good fighters, we're going to set up our own governing bodies have our own belts, that crosses over into the mainstream now but it's still the same problem because what are you trying to do let's say Martin's my boxer what I'm trying to do is make a profit on him but you're, you're trying to make a profit on him and when people say to me you know what's eddie hearn's plan with dillian white i say it, i've said it before it's to make a profit on him i don't know how much they had to pay him to fight joshua but i have a feeling they need to make that back before they can then say well let's do business now as people who've helped each other out i i I'd assume Dillian's probably in the hole to Eddie Hearn still for a few for a few thousand. So he's probably got one more fight where he can cash out, and then Eddie decides what to do with him. Um. So so if you look at it, so from the forties, the fifties, the sixties, you know when you had one belt, the belt was controlled, and so people weren't able to feed their families based on their talent. So you had other governing bodies forming, you know you had the WBA come up, you had the IBF in, I think in 1984 then you had the WBO a bit later than that and what that meant was more people could fight for world titles, more people could feed their money but it, all it did is it spread the problem so now you've got guys who hang on to belts because they're trying to milk it for all it's worth before they take that risk so if you're a young fighter coming up the current structure hinders you but any structure you impose is going to hinder you because no one wants to lose because no one wants to start again and we won't change anything until defeats mean nothing you know boxing's one of the few sports where defeats are a big deal in football if you lose a game you come back next week we don't quite have that in boxing i think we need to get back to that where you can fight for a world title with four or five defeats on your record because those defeats shouldn't define who you are today
2: Ricky is a good example of that. I mean, his world title's bullshit, but he's got the defeats on his record. Um, he's come, I mean, Nathan Cleverly's another one who's doing alright off the back of it. You know, he won his make believe world title on the back of the fanfara loss. Um <laughs> Do you want to pad that out? Make believe world title? No, it was a bollocks world title. The, uh, <laughs> the Braver fight is not real. Um, you know, it, it's a good enough fight. You know, his fanfara fight was good. The world titles almost are just a smokescreen around stopping good fights happening. You can find good fights without world titles attached to
0: them. It almost feels like sometimes you'd be best off entering the sport as a boxer that was good... ...but had not quite reached their potential yet. So that a lot of people thought you were an opponent that they could beat... ...and then you were surprising people as you entered the sport... To the po- ...until you got a profile that was big enough for you to start sucking in fighters... In order, because you can draw such an audience that you can make a massive profit. Do you know what I mean? Well,
1: so, so the history is, especially in the heavyweight division, you have to create a monster, right? And the art of creating a monster is to have as much of a of a body count as you can before you even have a meaningful fight. So, if you look at Tyson, Tyson fought bums, then you know Pinklon Thomas, Mitch Blood, Green. These are all guys who, in any era, were trash. And you know becomes the youngest world champion at twenty you until Holyfield you can't really find a Hall of Fame caliber fighter Tyson Ford who was at their peak. You know it's why I always say you know Tyson's place in boxing history as a te- as a boxer in the ring is utter bullshit. It's always been my opinion you know the guy didn't fight anyone, but they created the monster, so then when Holyfield beat him, Holyfield was a man who beat the monster. You see, so you can make money off of
0: that. So, is that what we could potentially be seeing with Anthony Joshua?
1: Yep. Yeah. You create the monster, um, and then you have a number of big fights, which are big in name without necessarily being challenges. But then eventually, you have to then reach the summit where people say, Look, we're not taking you seriously until you fight that other guy up there who's also got a body count. And at that point, there, you will find out who's who.
0: Yeah, well, unfortunately, that other person up there is taking cocaine and failing drug tests. <laughs> oh, but there's another guy. There's Dione Wilder. Hands. Yeah, there's a couple up there, to so be fair. Uh, I always think... Like, and there's
1: a- another guy with cane rows. Let's not forget
2: the guy with cane uh, uh, rows. <laughs> I always think there's... Um, in the modern era, you can very much define how big a fight is by how much the world titles get mentioned in the build-up and like, in the immediate aftermath. So, for instance, Kovalev Ward, do you ever see, like, in the build-up to that, is anybody talking about what world titles are on the line for it? I've not seen it mentioned once. It's because it's a world-quality fight, and yet Ricky Burns, like, Eddie Hearn, the first thing he says when he gets on the mic, is like, and still the champion, blah, blah, blah. It's like he's shoving that world title down your throat to remind you that they've got a world title holder there. As I say, it's like it's so overt to the the viewer. Whereas with say the Kovalev Ward situation or Mayweather Pacquiao, who knew what belts were on the line there? Like, you didn't really. You didn't care because you wanted to see the fight. You didn't give a shit about what titles were you know in play during that. It's I said to me. There's always a relationship between the two.
1: I got in trouble for saying this once.
0: Oh, I'll say it again then mate. I'll say it again
1: <laughs> <laughs> most meaningful fights start from rivalries that happened in the amateurs like go through I've, the, look you know Nigel Ben Michael Watson didn't like each other in the amateurs Have not, you know, didn't like each other there was a third guy there called Rod Douglas none of them liked each other in the amateurs so when they all turned pro about the same time they were the fights people wanted to see because it's like well oh, these guys legitimately don't like each other you don't have to manufacture it Rod Douglas gets injured. All of a sudden, you can insert Chris Eubank into that picture, and Eubank understood what he had to do. He had to make himself unlikable to these other two to sell all of these fights.
0: He did really well there.
1: To be fair, he 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 passed that on as well. Still
0: going as well with it. (laughs) But all
1: so so, all all of these things, the Khan Brook thing, that just like started in the amateurs. Yeah. you can go through all of these sorts of records where it's like well actually hold on these guys have all kind of been in and around each other in the amateurs you know Joshua versus Dillian White perfect example that's when you that's when a fight sells itself because the dislike is genuine what we now have is we're trying to create dislike ah Ian and Dillian don't like each other because of this that but deep down strip everything aside you go three years from now Dillian and Ian Lewis will be in the same gym training together as friends they
2: liked each other on Twitter Saturday morning it was yeah, they they've always, it was total th- bollocks yeah.
1: you see and and as fans you guys need to just stop liking this uh, and I'm going to just have a just oh, a mini rant again, it? it's just a mini rant everyone needs to stop getting on the gossip fucking bandwagon okay who's Joshua going to fight on this day just don't worry who tweets what just sit down and go I'm either going to buy the fight or I'm not going to buy the fight because I tell you what, nothing will scare Eddie Hearn more than people not talking about his fucking shitty date of the 26th.
0: Um, is this owed to the fact that there isn't actually that many interesting personalities in boxing? I mean, granted, there's some, but across the board, you know, there are loads. Fuck, there are loads. <laughs> if you if you move around the boxing world, there are
1: characters absolutely everywhere. The problem is, once there's a few million at stake, you can't run that risk anymore. You know, we're in a world of social media where people love to get offended.
2: There are probably many, many, many fighters that have and share the views of Tyson Fury that aren't a heavyweight world champion, and nobody knows about it. Like Tyson Fury is highlighted as being a character. He's a character because we pay attention to him. There are many that are probably, I say, have the same views. Um, probably share the same views, that don't get in the newspaper, don't create the headlines, because they're not the world heavyweight champion.
0: Would boxing do... F- or oh, fare better if it had... characters like... such as... Conor McGregor... from
2: UFC. He's a knobhead,
0: no. I'm <laughs> stoking the fire.
2: No, but look at Conor McGregor.
1: What, the guy still gets, what, one and a half, two million dollars a purse? Or, he's
0: made 40 million this
1: year. Well, he hasn't, because... Who, who endorses him, we don't see him on any endorsements, I've never seen him on a Reebok billboard or a Nike billboard so he's not really that well endorsed, his purses are probably in the region of one and a half to two and a half million a fight he doesn't get a, a cut of the gate, he doesn't get a cut of the pay-per-view so he's in boxing terms, what McGregor earns a small fry, and that's for all the noise that he makes and all the social media activity so do we need people like that? yes and no it has to be organic like you can't just turn up one day like I don't want to see Anthony Joshua suddenly start trash talking people <laughs> yeah. because he hasn't done that he's too to humble
0: spoil. that's the problem
1: you know yeah you know, he, he's a very he's a quiet guy he's a humble guy good human being from what I've heard from people around him so he can't do that you know but the people who could do that look let's take an example when Prince Patel did it everyone hated him Martin likes him I'm fucking <laughs> off. But, but, but there's, there's my point, though. You know, you, you have a guy who, in a misguided way, tried to go down that path, and it didn't work because the truth is, British boxing is run by people who never really got girls growing up, and probably still have a porn masturbation habit. And I'm not saying that to disrespect Jesus. anyone directly.
0: <laughs> no, no. <laughs> took a few names in the hat for no, good measure. Go no,
1: ahead. no, it's, it's not it's not about names, it's a mindset thing. It's a mindset thing that says we've never taken risks in our lives, so we're not going to take risks. But, you know, you have to like, you know, let the let the risky side of things happen. And that's how you know, no one wanted Floyd. If you remember the split with Aram came around because Aram didn't want Floyd to be pretty boy flash brash He didn't want that. And Floyd was like this is how I'm going to make money and so he bought himself out of his contract and said I'm going to prove to Bob Aram I was right and he did well he was yeah definitely yeah. that so, so what's the lesson you learn from that there are some people who that's just who they are you've got to let them do
0: it as long as they're backing up in the ring if they don't back it up in the ring ditch him okay massive unwarranted digression tick let's move on um <laughs> Groves George Groves returning um you want to fill us in Mike, whilst Terry catches his breath?
2: Yeah, well, he's fighting uh, Wembley Arena in November on a Friday night, oddly enough. Um, I can't remember his opponent's name. Doesn't mean an awful lot to me. Uh, I think they've described him as durable. It's a, a clever move by Groves for me. Um, he's a name that will always be able to be slotted into any world title fight at Super Middle. Uh, and what he's doing is he's going on to Channel 5 Going on to domestic TV And bringing back that public awareness of who George Groves is You know, it was on a massive high after the Frotch fight at Wembley He's going back on Channel 5 now Building that awareness And then he'll be able to take that brand of George Groves Back over to Sky, back over to Pay-Per-View um, For, you know, probably the Gale fight I think it's, it's a very well-advised move The opponent, probably not It's going to be a bit of a shitter um, but I think in terms of it garners good publicity for George Groves, builds that branding back up, and as I say, ultimately that would be worth more money to him then when he uh, makes the inevitable switch back to a, a bigger boxing platform.
0: These sort of fights sometimes feel a bit like watching a football team play friendlies until they actually have something meaningful. Do you think that's going to affect any sort of return that he has, given that he's bounced away from world title levels so many times? it depends what you mean
1: by meaningful so he has a new trainer and in, in boxing terms he's been with Shane for either just over or just under a year so they're still learning each other do you want to take those things you're working on in the gym and test them against a wily operator you know like in DeGale? not yet so I think they're probably just looking to go let's see what you do in the ring against this guy if the stuff we're working on in the gym happens in this fight will move you up a level you can you can fight for that WBA belt so I I see I see why this fight has to happen does does it mean I'm excited by it no I accept it and I'll watch it I'm grateful that it's on Channel 5 because not only does it bring attention to Groves it'll bring attention to the undercard as well so I imagine there'll be a couple more Cyclones promotion guys on there so Shane will have a few guys on the build I never know who does the undercard. Maybe Goodwin does the undercard.
2: Yeah, I think it's um, there's a couple of the Cyclones guys, and then there's Dan Dan Keenan uh, from Goodwin Promotions, there's Dino Richardson, and there's the English Worldweight Champion Johnny Garton are all on the undercard. So it's going to be a two-hour TV broadcast on Spike that will lead into a two-hour Channel 5 broadcast, is the idea. So, yeah, I think Andrew Selby's on it as well. Uh, Always good to see Andrew Selby out. He's a a quality talent. Um, So, yeah, I think just domestic TV boxing, as much as we may not be happy about the Groves opponent, you can't be unhappy that TV is on... Also, boxing is on domestic TV.
0: Okay, um, Luis Ortiz has moved to matchroom. Um... What does that mean for the heavyweight division? Given that he's pretty dangerous character, right?
1: Give Eddie a medal, please. That 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 when I read about that move, honestly, I was was in my bedroom and I just started banging the wall because you can say say. banging the wall, (laughs) (laughs) fucking like a glory
2: hole (laughs) (laughs) style. No Um, (laughs) polyfiller. No
1: absolute genius. Absolute genius. Like you have, you have. A guy floating around as a free agent who could derail everything you're trying to build. So you sign him, I'm guessing it's a three fight deal. What do you do with him? You turn him into a David Haye stalking horse. So while Haye's looking at Joshua, you go actually no 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 David, you're looking at Joshua but there's this Ortiz guy that's looking at you. You've got to deal with him. Because they tried it with Bellew, Use used Bellew as a stalking horse to get Hay in the ring. Nah. Haye's too canny for that. So now you've got Ortiz and you say well. We don't even have to have him fighting David Hay, but we, if we can create that demand for it, it takes the attention away from why isn't Joshua fighting Hay? And in the meantime, you haven't had to pay much for Ortiz, there's enough of a British appetite to see him fight, you can make your money back on this guy relatively quickly. So, Eddie's smart, man. I'm sure he plugged it into the spreadsheet and the spreadsheet said, sign.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's very much a case of better to have him inside the tent pissing out than outside the tent pissing in. Uh, Ortiz is a weapon of a man um, what are they going to do with him uh, god knows really they're putting him out in November I think on one of their shows um, like what British fighter can you put in with him at the moment that's going to test him and make him credible I, I don't know Like, there, there seems very little point in getting Luis Ortiz and then putting him in with like a Hungarian journeyman <laughs> <laughs> uh, on a Sky show, like that's going to see. We haven't
0: seen many of them. Have we, recently? <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> it's going to seem really bizarre if they go ahead and do that. So then, which British fighter can you feed to Luis Ortiz that gives a relevance? Because don't forget, most Sky viewers aren't going to have a clue who Luis Ortiz is. Most people that turn up and sing Sweet Caroline aren't going to have a clue who Luis Ortiz is. There is a demand for him within the boxing public, but not from outside of those that are, you know, legitimate fans, people that listen to this, for instance, spend their time researching boxing. But outside of that, there isn't the appetite. So, who, which names can they give to him that are going to have enough mainstream recognition to make him seem like a worthy competitor to the bigger names? Uh, it's an interesting conundrum.
1: He's sure. just fine. I genuinely think he's been bought in to to kill the threat. So,
0: what, so, he's not going to fight, he's just, he is going to fight just bums for three yeah, so, to five.
1: So, if you, you know, you watch American football and there's that, there's the. No. There's a, there's no, a, absolutely
0: not. Because <laughs> it's wank.
1: I'm aware yeah, of it, yeah. Terry. There's, Continue. There's the running back, and the running back has those guys that run in front pushing people out of the way. Okay, that's beyond my knowledge. Yeah, but. so Joshua's the running back right now. He's the guy you want to give the ball to. So, what do you then have? You have Lewis Ortiz up here going, move him out the way, move him out the way. So, whenever a threat comes, Eddie can just go, right, Ortiz, we'll, we'll match you with this guy. Yeah. Take him out of the picture. David Hayes gonna take him out of the picture.
0: So you think Ortiz will fight Hay? Possibly. Well,
1: I think Eddie will call for it. David's not gonna take that
0: fight. So
2: you're going with the uh, you're going with the American football analogy. I'm gonna take this back to old school WWF. He's the diesel to Shawn Michaels. Come on, that's yes, uh, that's where
0: I'm working. He's perfect. the bodyguard. Right, but you gotta go with it. What happens?
2: Well, you know, Diesel tosses everyone out of the ring, uh, a Royal Rumble, whichever year that was, uh, and then ultimately turns on Shawn Michaels, and they end up getting it on a WrestleMania. That'll be their WrestleMania moment. Is <laughs> if Luis Ortiz takes out David Hay, if he takes out every other threat to Anthony Joshua, then ultimately it builds him up as a big enough name and a big, you know, the public consciousness around Ortiz would be big enough that that could then build potentially to a Joshua fight. So
0: Ortiz doesn't chokeslam Eddie Hearn at the end of his contract? Fingers crossed.
1: But right.
2: I just think Ortiz is overrated. We'll find out. is a brilliant way of finding out.
1: Yeah, I, I, all the hype around it, I, I just looked at it and went, basically, you, you're signing a guy who put over, do you know what I mean, a, a 15 stone Brian Jennings and an over the hill Tony Thompson. I, I'm,
2: you're not selling that to me like he it's still more legitimate uh, uh, than Andy Joshua
0: I'm right in thinking that Ortiz is like the regular WA yes. WBA holder so, so Eddie Hearn knowing Eddie Hearn could definitely sell this as a title fight with <laughs> somebody
2: yeah no doubt <laughs> he'd be a world title holder the moment you see him on got the sky has he got the belt or because I thought they were working out what to do about Lucas Brown no, because uh, he uh, Ortiz is the interim world title holder. Oh. Lucas Brown is the regular, oh. or was the regular world title holder. So there's a super, there's regular a super, in interim, which is why the WBA tournament, which we're going to touch on later, uh, is designed to you know join them all together a bit.
0: Which was so well constructed and, uh, and thought through. Yeah. Okay, speaking of heavyweight matchups, December the tenth looks busy. Fill us in. Right, there's a lot of moving parts to
2: this, so. Initially, I thought Hearn had the O2 book, but Madness are actually playing at the O2 on uh, December 10th, so rule that out. What do we know? Warren apparently has um, the MEN booked, although I'm hearing stories that may not as be as secure as uh, as it's been painted. There's Klitschko has got Hamburg booked uh, for December the 10th. There's Talk, <laughs> it depends where you read it from, that Hay is looking at booking... The Millennium Stadium in Cardiff for December the tenth, um, as a possibility, and then there's Golovkin Jacobs is meant to be happening December the tenth. So essentially, like keep your diary free on December the tenth. There's a lot going on potentially. Like it can't all happen. Something will fall out. So, so my take on it is, you have this
1: massive swinging contest between Eddie Hearn and K two, and it it's been this. Sort simmering cold war between them over who are the top dogs because you're watching you're watching top rank falling apart you're watching Al Heyman fall apart Golden Boy aren't the force they were and so you've got K2 who have Klitschka and they've got Golovkin and they've got their stable of fighters this is a reasonably strong and they've got a great TV deal so they have money and you've got Heard decent stable of fighters own TV deal loads of money and these guys are battling it out watch from some of the gossip I've been hearing coming out of supposed experts, Klitschko's saying, I want the lion's share of the purse. Hearn's like, you don't deserve it. Klitschko's like, I'll fight on December the 10th and see what I do. And so he's lining up his usual cast of characters. So there'll be a, you know, Marius Vak will mysteriously and these sorts <laughs> of characters, which, if that happened, would leave Hearn in a bigger hole because then he'd have to match Joshua with someone and it would have to be pay-per-view quality obviously so he's stuck Um, Hayes floating around he has his option and I have a feeling that's going to be a WBO title belt you wouldn't be looking at the Millennium otherwise and then you've got Huey Fury floating around and what does he do? I'd quite like to see Fury just fight Klitschko Um, that's me speaking as a fan would Warren risk that? I don't think there'd be anything to lose by Huey Fury fighting Klitschko why not But all of these guys Have to fight And the numbers Aren't adding up At the moment And We've allowed this To happen as fans Because we feed off This intrigue And we need to stop Feeding off stuff like this Eddie should Just wake up one day And go look This is the fight That's happening on the 26th um, That's all there is to it And then Everything else Will fall into place From there
2: yeah, I mean, I think there's um, there's a lot of interest over this December the 10th date. I mean, what is particularly of note about it is that December the 10th falls two weeks um, after the year anniversary of Fury winning the world titles. So, one year on from that, and then the governing bodies can start looking to strip those titles and hand them back out, which is why December the 10th is such a key moment or date around uh, the heavyweight scene is... Because those titles suddenly become available again, and they become a high commodity interest. Um, so there's all the talk about, you know, we've discussed it before. We're not going to go into detail now. Joshua Klitschko back end of November. I don't think that's going to happen back end of November. Hearn got interviewed in Glasgow. You know, stoking those fires a little bit. You know, trying to garner some interest. It's all bollocks. Like you don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on until we hear something. Solidly from any of the people involved um, you know is Hay genuinely going to fight on December the 10th or did he just put that tweet out there to get his name into the mix a bit that's a, a very real possibility um, it's, it's all going to unfurl and it hasn't got that long to do it you know we're recording this on the 9th of October so it's two months away um, there isn't that long given that these people have training camps and PR and what have you to do to find out all of this so I suspect by this time next week the pitch is going to be a little bit clearer the only upside is everyone's in camp, so if you talk, everyone's in camp
1: yeah. because because everyone knows everyone knows that phone could go. Yeah, <laughs> we're all fighting. We just don't know who we're fighting. So let's at least be in shape so that we get eight weeks. To yeah, Puff me
2: and Lewison, who's like dank KFC. <laughs> um, do
1: you know? I I
0: I got, I got barred it, actually.
2: <laughs> I, I feel for the
1: guy. Um, but December tenth. Is good because I like the way everyone started to park their tanks on each other's lawns and say well if you want to be an idiot we'll book this thing now you know Eddie you're forced into your date of the 26th so let's see who you can produce because Vladimir is sat there going I'm the kingpin here if the belts get released I fight for at least one of them so I can pretty much choose my opponent you know because I'm Vladimir Klitschko let's be clear about this the guy The guy's been telling the governing bodies who he will fight for the last 10 years. I don't think that's going to change now.
0: Given how straight-laced and officious all of the um, boxing authorities are, do we think that it would be possible that they would strip the belts from Fury and then possibly manipulate their rankings to choose the most lucrative fight to stick their belt on?
2: They don't even need to. I mean, there aren't that many heavyweights um, around. And with Klitschko having lost those belts, he goes back into the rankings of, say, the WBC. I mean, their title could possibly end up going out, depending on how long Wilder's going to be out for, they could make him, you know, an emeritus champion, uh, whatever, in recess, sorry. They could start circulating that WBC title, which they're talking about already, for Povetkin versus um, Stiverne, isn't it? It's done. Yeah. So, like, that title is going to be out in circulation again soon. So, like, every title within reason, apart from the IBF, is going to be up for grabs. Um, It's, yeah, like, expect to see. It'll be a really interesting... uh, set of just results what comes out of this because it's too late for them now to start manipulating those rankings because these fights are all going to be signed off within the next week or two so they can't manipulate those rankings anymore like they can't do it for the end of October and suddenly move somebody up into another position because those fights are all going to be signed off so the manipulation if it isn't done yet isn't going to get them
0: have they confirmed they're definitely going to strip Fury then or are we just assuming they will and now because if they haven't are they allowed to sign fights that are going to be for those belts even if they haven't declared it so two things have happened today
1: Peter Fury said happy for Tyson to be stripped Uh, WBA Gilberto Ramirez is it? Yeah. Mendoza. Uh, sorry, Mendoza has said, look, we can't make a decision yet. We need to see what the available medical evidence suggests. It's a problem for everyone, but we want to find a solution that's sympathetic to the situation Tyson's in, but also that enables all the other boxers to legitimately carry on with earning a living. In so, other
2: words, emeritus Yeah.
1: Because it, I'm trying to, if you look, WBC, relatively stable. Pavet fights to Verne Purse bids, I think was like three million dollars. So that's done. Um, WBA still don't know, but if you look at the rankings, it's like Ortiz one, maybe Houston off two, or Kendo three, sort of Hay four. You can't move those guys around because they've been there for so long. Like so, who does Klitschko fight out of that lot? Would even want to fight any of them? IBF, Josh will get this voluntary on the twenty sixth, and then he'll get the letter to fight Parker, or pay his step aside money. And then the WBO, maybe Klitschko fights for that again, or maybe they say actually Klitschko's not in our rankings. Therefore, let's look at it as Parker, Andy Ruiz Jr., hey, any two of those three would fight for that one. So we kind of know where the fights need to go. It can't you know, any of the sort of middle of the road filler fighters are out now. So Dujapas and Takam are fighting. That's all been done. So you've almost, you've taken two guys who would have been credible opponents for a Joshua completely out of the equation now. So Eddie Hearn is—he's feeling the brown stuff come out of himself
0: now. The question I have is: if a fight uh, is is deciding from more than one belt, does that dilute the amount of money that an authorising? Like a, an authority will take from it. So if it's for the WBA and the WEO, no, they, will they, no. <laughs> no. <they get>, no. <laughs> well, you
2: think they're going to start giving up money because somebody else is involved? Like, no, nah. I don't know. I just thought nah.
0: that maybe would that then influence what fight they chose to put their belt on the line for? Is what I was thinking. You said you mentioned Klitschko for the WBA and the WBO. I'm thinking, would would that dilute their earnings if they did choose Klitschko? Both of them chose Klitschko. But they wouldn't. If if they thought they weren't going to get the
1: money, they'd go. All right, it's not for our belt. The governing bodies do that all the time. Was it, was it Brooke, where they were like... Brooke, Brooke, Brooke Golovkin, where they were like... The IBF. Yeah, said, nah, not part yeah.
0: of this. Okay. All right, let's move on. We spoke to Jake Ball a little earlier on. And, as you'd expect, fantastic chat. Um, and I'll just play the interview for you now. Okay, so we spoke to the former GB fighter and... Great prospect for the professional ranks as he's moved into now. Jake Ball earlier today. Uh, and this is what he had to say for himself.
2: Um so yeah, we've got Jake Ball with us today then. The undefeated, light heavyweight, um coming out of London, teaming up with uh well, you were with Matry, didn't you, Jake? Matt Treme, uh, yeah. So in terms of a a start to a career, yours is probably one of the most unblemished in the professional uh, ranks in terms of you've knocked out all but one opponent. Um, right. You've you stepped in from... I mean, your, your background was in the GB squad, wasn't it, for a while as well? Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, I was,
3: on, I was on Team GB for, for about two years. Okay, so, I mean, in
2: terms of having a set-up for a professional debut and a professional outing, you're probably like one of the most under-the-radar but well-placed Fighters out there, I suspect. Do do you think that helps you at the moment that you're not the kind of headline act, but you're just you're building and bubbling very, very nicely under the uh, under the surface.
3: Yeah, it's good. Like like, I think that's the way it should be. I think obviously when you first start out um, your career, no matter like no matter who you are, like as soon as you turn pro, you're all novices. I think it's good. Obviously, just to um that, that, that that first year, just to just to stay under the radar, just just get your fights in. You know what I mean. Different venues, like, like different occasions. It's, it's all experience, you know what I mean. So um, yeah. So the f- first year for me has been great. Yeah. So there can't be many boxers after one year have boxed at where are we talking Leeds,
0: Leeds, Liverpool.
3: Birmingham, York Hall, O2, um, Liverpool. Yeah. Um, I'll box. Yeah. And, well, I think all my fights have been in different a different arena. So do you think that helps build, then, in terms of when you
2: probably inevitably kind of move up through the levels and uh, kind of get towards the titles, you're going to have that experience of being on, you know, shows at all different places, you know, in front of many or kind of few fans. You know, you've been through all of that already. Uh, after yeah, one... it's, it's,
3: it's great. Well, the thing is, especially, it's not only that, it's like, because um, like, I've boxed in Leeds twice, um, my last fight was down in um, it was, it was up at York call, so, so it was great, like home of boxing. But I think where where obviously Eddie's got me around. Like I think I, I sold maybe I think it was like 20 tickets to to, to people up in Leeds. Obviously, I've come there and watch my last like two fights in Leeds. Yeah, and tried to come down and watch me at York Hall. So so it's great as well. So obviously like people
0: from the north are getting are getting to, to see me, as well. Jake, okay, um, take us back to. Getting into the sport originally, what made you get into boxing in the first place?
3: Well, I, I got into boxing really. I just tagged. I've got an older brother who's, uh, who's a couple of years older than me. And um, when I was about seven year old, when I first went into the gym, like my dad sort of just took my, my brother down there, and I just tagged along as you do as a younger brother. <laughs> and really, I I, I just stuck I, I just stuck with it. Just stuck with it ever since. Like I've, I've come away from it a couple of times. Like when I was younger, I went and played football with my mates and that. But one of the things where I like, will probably have two or three months off it, and then I'm, I'm just I'm just I'm just drawn back to
0: it. Any particular reason for that, do you
3: think? No, it... I, thought, I think it's just we're at the time, I think I was like 12, 13 when, when I left it. I think it was only like all my mates was playing football at the time. It's one of the things where I, I thought I thought that's what I wanted to do. Like all of them said, oh, come on, come and join our team, blah, blah, blah. But then I, I went and done it for a few months. So I was quite good at it as well, but I just um, I just, I just I always loved boxing. You know, I always loved boxing. So I, I, just, I just just went back to it.
1: So one of the questions I have, and it's Terry here. Apologies, just being random here. Is there a link between you and Naylor Ball? Who? There's a there's a kid called Naylor Ball, boxes out of Guildford as well.
3: Yeah, yeah, he's he's he's, he's a relation to mine.
1: So so you are related. Ah, yeah, yeah. okay, because I kept thinking Jake Ball Guildford, and that's like that's where the young Naylor Ball comes from. So you yeah. take your cousins.
3: He's a cousin of mine. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Has he turned over now?
3: I, I think yeah. I think I think he has turned over. Yeah, just recently.
1: Okay, so so he's good. Jeans, I remember him from. I think it's 2014. We we fought him in the Harringay Box Cup.
3: Oh yeah, he's good. Cause yeah, well over the last over the last two three years, he's come on leaps and bounds now. Like, I think he's he's filling out, maturing more into the heavyweight. And I'm like he's like he's definitely one to watch.
1: Yeah, he's got a huge frame on him. Jesus, has he got a frame on him? Definitely. Yeah. So so yeah, he got sidetracked there. Then they just had the second question. What is it about this country in 81 kilo fighters? Like, if you list over the last five years all the guys who have come through at 81, you've got Jake, you've got young Umar Sadiq, you've got even Bryce Goodridge, um, even Danny Dignam. You've got all of these guys who are quality at 81. We seem to just produce 81 kilo fighters you know, by the dozen.
3: I oh, know, it's, it's, it's mad. Well, it's, it's a very, very popular weight, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and it's also good for you, I guess, because you, you, if, if you're getting in sparring rounds or bouts with these sorts of guys, man, it's it's experience that I mean, it's round it's rounds in the bank, really.
0: Oh yeah, it's
3: great. It's great for obviously sparring and obviously domestic, the domestic boxing itself, isn't it? It's great. So obviously, it's a lot of challenges you got to go through, obviously, before, before you step up. So you're training with Jimmy Mag Jr. Well, uh, I'm training with, with um, Jim McDonnell. It, oh sorry, yeah,
2: coach. Uh... Yeah. Um. So how? I mean, he's out there training with James DeGale, So presumably you're putting in the rounds as well with De Um. How how good is that in terms of getting
3: experience? Again, as somebody who's in their first year or. Just oh yeah, coaching. well. to I, I, well, you know, be honest, with you, like like I think that that's why I've been like so far advanced in this first year of my, of my pro career because obviously training at world level and obviously sparring like the, the best super middleweight in, in the world. It has only just just brought me on loops and bounds. So obviously, by the time I step into the ring with my opponents, like they can't mean nothing than than what I've already handled in the ring training.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was going to touch on that in terms of your amateur side as well, because you probably box better amateurs than you fought pros. I box a lot as amateurs. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, everyone you're you're kind of facing at the moment is probably a step down to what you're you're used to, I guess.
3: Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. But obviously, but it, it's obviously it's, it's it's all new lessons. Like obviously, no vest, smaller gloves. You know what I mean? Like longer rounds. So it, it's it's all it's all still learning, isn't it? All still learning, the minute. What do you I find? Mean, yeah, the, it's
0: going well. What for you for the biggest for the, for you was the biggest difference between. Amateur and professional boxing for for the layman out there. Training the training is completely different.
3: But yeah, yeah, to... yeah. The training um the training for me as an amateur because obviously amateur you're more speed on your feet in and out jumping in and out where um it's, it's just more more gruelling. The sessions as, as, as pro are just tougher, just longer, tougher you because know, obviously it's repetition, repetition, repetition. Um and obviously. Keep keeping focused for throughout the whole session. You know what I mean? Because it, it's right training for a four round but like Jim McDonald trains us for twelve rounds. He ain't us for four rounds. He trains us for for, for for what we're gonna do. So yeah. um, so, so, so it's obviously just um changing from the, from the three rounds as amateur to to keeping that focus and concentration for for twelve rounds, which is is difficult, but it's got to be done.
1: Because one of the things I liked when I watched you box was when you get in the red zone, so once you're in range, it's not a question of throwing one or two punches. You let your hands go. And not many people, especially not a year into their pro career, have the confidence to do that. Has that always been your style to just, once you're in range, just let the hands go? Because it's very, I want to say, sugary. Oh, yeah, oh yeah.
3: because... Oh, sorry, carry on. No, 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 I'm saying, I'm saying no, because that's one of the things that we do in the gym it is like, a lot of people obviously are scared to, to 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 throw 10, 20 shots because they think obviously the engine's going to give up. But I, I do it in, in, in the gym day in, day out, day in, day out. So I'm I'm used to it. My my body's used to it. So I know that I can throw as many shots as I want in that round. And d- during the rest, I'm I'm going to recover fresh for the next round.
1: Yeah, and it's, I think like watching you at your best, are those echoes of Kozaki. You're watching it going, this is almost like watching you know Calzaghi, the way you just let the hands go from the southpaw stance, and the guys are looking at you like, where the hell are these coming from?
3: <laughs> uh, like no, that, uh, well, like, a, a, is a is a great, great guy on the show. I've watched loads of fights to him this an absolutely amazing fighter. So, so if I can can achieve half what he's achieved, I'll, I'll be a happy man. How good was the York Hall show for you, Jake? we having
2: the uh, the prospects out on a matchroom oh, show.
3: Mate, York Hall, listen, I've boxed at York Hall twice now. York Hall's just absolutely amazing. Yeah, honestly, out, out, of, all, out of all the like, arenas and venues, York Hall's one of my favourites because it's just, it's just like a... a... Wait,
0: come back. Hello? Come back. Lost you
3: there. <laughs> <laughs> Lost you there, yeah. No, no, York Hall, yeah, it's just, 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 just an old school, old school boxing. It's just, it's just, it's history there, isn't it? It's great. Everyone who's there are, are, are boxing fans. Like, there's not a bad seat in the house and, it, it, it can be half empty or full, no matter what. The, the noise there in the atmosphere is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we had a
2: question from one of our listeners, um, Adam Camera. He said about what titles are you looking at um, boxing for before the end of, I mean, the year, but I mean, I guess over the
3: next year, ultimately. Yeah, no, well, let's see. what well, thing is, well, we're hoping to get uh, a, 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 like, a title fight like, before the end of this year, like either Southern Area English title it would be nice. Um, so end of the year and a high, end of the year with a belt, and then and then um for, with me all it is is experience. So obviously once I once I get that first belt un, uh, under uh, like, uh, under me, then next year is just is, is just pushing on like maybe defence and, and then just pushing on obviously British, um British. There's WBC national. There's a load of belts that you that, 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 that you can go for.
2: Yeah, I, mean, I think one of the things people may not know about yourself is how good the team around you that you've got is. So, you've got, as um, you said earlier, about your training team, but then you've also got Eddie Hearn as a promoter, which is a huge influence or a benefit at a young age. Then I've, also, you've got I've, a... I've
3: got, I've got, I've got. I've got a great team here. Yeah. I've got Eddie Hearn as my promoter. I've got um, Jim, Jim McDonald and his two boys, Jimmy Mac Jr. and Tom. Um, in my corner, also Terry Stewart. And then, and then I've got my father. My father and um, JFB promotions, deals with, like, all, all, all my promotion sides, like dealing with ones me up with sponsors, and then I've also I've got my wife back at home. Like thing is, like I, can't, I come home, I've got my meals cooked, got baths run, like, like I mean. So obviously, when I'm obviously cutting weight down, I've got to have my meal prep ready every, every day. Um, it's all there for me. So yeah, so I can't complain. I'm, 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 a, I'm a lucky guy. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone could underestimate how
2: important having that whole kind of um, holistic approach of having everything in place for you is. Like, somebody at your stage of a career, that's a huge benefit, I guess. Oh, I mean,
3: massively, massively.
0: Um, Obviously, in the news recently, there's been... Um, for, for, the Mike Tao thing came up and it was, it was a terrible tragedy etc i don't, want, don't really want to go into that but the but what came of that was the whole weight gain weight drop thing and the whole dehydration thing before before um weigh-ins etc how what's your weight range are you going uh do you think you're you're up and down in how much do you have to sort of cut out and get back on again
3: yeah no i be honest here, i make light heavy reasonably comfortable it was like On my last fight, I weighed in 12, 6 and 2 ounces,
0: and I had
3: breakfast in the morning before I weighed in.
0: So has it ever occurred to you, or has it ever been asked of you to cut down further and go into a a lower weight category?
3: No, no. Well, the thing is, like, I just want them. there's no way would I be able to make, because it's too big of a drop from 12, 7 to 12, so for for Super Middleweight, it's it's another 6 pound or 7 pound. Like, I'd never, ever be able to make... Well, it's not that... I'll probably be able to make the weight, but it's making the weight and then, then being You're able to, to be strong at the weight. Whereas a <laughs> lot heavy, I'll make the weight comfortable and I'm big and I'm strong at the weight.
2: Which is amazing you make it comfortably at all. It really. was six foot three, six foot four.
3: Six four, yeah.
2: Yeah, like that's a hell of a weapon being a six foot four southpaw that can punch. <laughs> yeah,
3: it's, it's quite a good advantage, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. See,
1: because one of the things that impressed, like, you know, I had to do my research before the interview was you've had over 100 amateur bouts, right?
3: No, I had a belt, I think it was just
1: short of 80 or 75-80. Ah, okay. But not many people do that now. So if you look at a lot of these young guys, I know this because I talk to guys in the gym all the time, 12, 13 fights, they want to go pro. And I, what I like about your career so far is it's almost been done the right way. Get a load of amateur bouts done, make a lot of the mistakes before you get paid to box. And then when you come over, you've got that, that massive experience you can draw upon. So once you get to... Ten, twelve bouts, and you start to fight the tougher guys. You've already got that experience. You know you've been in those situations many times.
3: No, hundred percent, yeah. Because obviously, as an amateur, an amateur is obviously where you you gain your experience when you first start out. Like where you make mistakes, like you learn from them, and then obviously turn over as a pro. Um, it's where you, you try and perfect all, all the little, all the little tricks and all the little ways like your style, and, and and then improve, improve as the fights go on.
0: Um, Jake, at what um. Just one of our final questions, just from a f- sort of fans' perspective, who are sort of like your biggest inspirations in boss- uh, in boxing, like your favourite boxers of all time?
3: No, it's an easy question for me. It's um Sugar Ray, Len- Sugar Ray Leonard, and Muhammad Ali. I've watched them, um, watched them for years as amateur. Honestly, all through my boxing career. Just no um bad, no. Yeah, literally, it's just the hand speed, the, the, the feet movement. You know, what I mean, the cockiness. I just loved it. <laughs> so, we're we going to see shades of that coming
2: into your style as you. Uh,
3: <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> Have you got any sponsors, Jake, that you want to give a, a shout out to? Yeah, I've got a few sponsors. Actually, I've got sponsors. I've got um, V Juice, um, Rad Document Storage, uh, JFB Promotions, I've got Hartley Services, I've got Sala Limited, which are a domestic cleaning company in and around London, I've got Meatman and, and BoxFit. Wonderful, we'll make sure uh, they will
0: get Wonderful.
2: a nice thank you. But yeah, we speak with JFB quite a lot and uh, they're a good, good yeah, bunch
3: Yeah, no, he's a good guy, is a good guy. Excellent.
0: I think that's pretty much us wrapped up then, Jake, if that's, uh, unless you've got anything else you want to add.
3: No, that's it. said no, well, if anyone wants to wants to follow the journey and, and, and be a baller, as we say, um, <laughs> you, you can follow me on, on Twitter, Instagram, at one Jake Ball. Excellent. We'd advise it as well. Yeah, like, I recommend. You're a man that. who's going far. Yeah, yeah you know. No, I appreciate. A I appreciate. Good it. team
1: around him, and as I as I've said before, a man who's doing the pro game the right way.
3: No, thank you very much. Fantastic. Excellent. No, nice thank you, Jake, to... for your time. No, any time, guys. Thank you, right,
0: guys. Thank you, you. Jake Ball, there, another exciting professional prospect in the making, wouldn't you say?
2: Yeah, no, he's um, he's a quality fighter. He's going to go a long, long way, I'd suspect, in the sport. Like heavyweights turned into an interesting division, both domestically and internationally. I think Jake will fit into it very, very well.
0: Okay, let's move on to the Bellew preview and how much you love Tony Bellew. Such an exciting fighter, right? I don't give a fuck about
2: his fight at all. Um, (laughs) I don't give a fuck about BJ Flores... (laughs) I'm sure David Hay will come along. They're good friends outside of the boxing world. Um, it's kind of helped with all the uh, the hay bell you sideshow to all of this. Um, I, d- I don't care about it necessarily. I think... Which is a shame, we've got a WBC Cruiserweight Champion, so we should, but there's just too much water under the bridge for me with Bellew, I can't, I can't get excited about the man. But Terry does such a great impression. Um, yeah, he does, he does un- undoubtedly. Well, at um, least a
0: scout impression.
2: But yeah, no, having sat through, it was on the undercard of Carl Froch juice of Mac when we sat through Tony Bellew versus uh, Roberto Bellonti. And that fight was just the most tragically painful experience I've ever sat and watched. Um, like that's just that's absolutely poured water on my Tony Bellew bonfire forever. And then his antics out of the ring have uh, equally done so. So,
0: I don't, so a tantalising prospect. I, I don't know enough about
2: BJ Flores to make any reasonable um, comment on it. But I think... There's probably a very good reason he was picked by Eddie Hearn for Tony Bellew's first defence. When there are so many um, decent, like world class cruiserweights available, including um, Bradis, who's fighting on the undercard against Simon Valilli, I think. Um, like, w- why did they not just pick Bradis for the fight and actually make it interesting? I, I don't know.
0: It's weird because Eddie Hearn is usually such a ferocious gambler with his prospects, Terry. Uh, Martin's done absolutely nothing to promote that fight whatsoever no nope. can I hope for the same or better for you
1: oh, they brought someone in for Bellew to beat up make some noise about David Hay fight you a heavyweight any time right. we'll all get bored Bellew will <laughs> get bored of it himself and then he'll realise that Ortiz is here now so Hearn has three heavyweights Hay could go out instead of him so
0: Know, could Bell you ever go to heavyweight? Do you think?
1: Well, remember it? he only has to just come in a pound over cruiserweight limit and he's a
2: heavyweight. Yeah, uh, he could he could reasonably go to heavyweight, and I'm sure they'll talk again as you say about David Hay, And uh, it was quite amusing to me whether they've spoken before about a catchweight. I don't know what kind of catchweight you're gonna make between cruiserweight <laughs> and heavyweight. It's a fucking madness. But um, yeah, he wouldn't be a big heavyweight, but neither is David Haye. So. But I, I don't want to talk about. I don't want to talk about any of that. Like this is a tragic version of a world title fight. I'm not interested in it. I am more interested in um, Derry Matthews versus Luke Campbell on the undercard. I think that's an interesting fight. Matthews is coming off the back of the Flanagan loss for the world title. Campbell is rebuilding after the loss to Mendy. Um, you know he's had a couple of wins. I think he had Gary Sykes. and am the other one. Um, It'd be interesting to see what level Luke Campbell's at and what Derry Matthews has got left to offer the sport. Um, I don't, I don't know. I think Campbell will probably win it. I think he'll probably cut Matthews down by maybe the eighth or ninth round, and then Hearn can talk afterwards about how he did a job that Flanagan wasn't able to do. Uh, they need to start looking at moving Luke Campbell. I mean, they spoke actually Scotty Cardle on Friday night when he won against Kevin Hooper. They were talking, uh, Hearn was talking possibly about the winner of uh, Campbell Matthews fighting Scotty Cardle. Like, the winner of Campbell Matthews ought to be going on to world title level, not British title level, in my view. It was a very odd suggestion of a potential fight. Problem is, world title level is
1: pretty solid. So, you can see you can see Hearn's had a look at the balls and gone, there aren't any balls we could nick here. <laughs> so 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 we'll keep it British gone. level, yeah. Um, keep keep it at British level until something happens up there, someone moves up and wait, then we'll jump straight in there.
0: Okay, um we've got some listeners questions. How do we feel about going to them?
2: Well one of them fits in quite well from my my old friend Arthur actually. Um which about the lightweights and ranking them um in order. I can't remember the exact wording of it, so see if we can find it.
0: Arthur Wallace at Dad-O-F-Kieran. dad of. Oh, God. I'm not going to live that down. Dad-O-F-Kieran. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> all right, fine. <laughs> oh, well, I'll leave that in as well. They're going to laugh at me being a spastic. Um, so, Dad-O-F-Kieran said, um, Top five lightweights on the planet... In order, please list and Whatever. <laughs> uh,
1: gone to. Oh, wow. Robert Easter Jr. One. Um, I just think he's a problem for everyone he fights. Number two, Linares. You have to give it to him for what he's done and what <laughs> and the metal work he has in his cabinet at the moment. Three, Rances Bartholomew, because you know a lot of people are deliberately avoiding him. I'm gonna put Crawler at fourth. Just out of respect for what he has done this year, um, I'll gamble and put Flanagan at fifth, but I've got a couple of special mentions because it's a hard one to rank. So, Mikey Garcia, is he going to fight at 135? If he does, Mikey Garcia would probably take my fifth spot. Um, then there are guys like Tevin Farmer, does Tevin Farmer come up from 130 to 135? If he does, then he's a threat as well. So, competitive, but they would be my five right now based on, you know, what's happened over the last 18 months.
2: Okay, I mean, I think I'd have um, Rantus Bartholomew just based upon recent CV and achievements, maybe number one. Um, It's difficult after that. I mean, uh, Robert Easter Jr., based on what he's achieved, um, (laughs) I think his fight with Richard Comey was particularly good. His, you know it's a breakout fight to an extent probably number two then Linares in at number three um Linares could arguably be number one for his achievements it's a great division like in terms of the competitiveness at the top um but then Richard Comey you know he took Robert Easter Jr. to the wire in that fight so like arguably he could be coming this top five I think similar to Terry like out of respect for Anthony Kroller and what he's done you'd probably put him in at four I'd maybe put Richard Comi in at five. I think he could cause nightmares for any of them. But then you've got Zlatan as well, who's the current WBC champ. Like, he's out of that list, so maybe you'd move him up in place of Richard Comey. The fact is, there are some very, very good fights in a very, very good division to be made. Um, let's see him. Be good. And we haven't even called out guys like Felix or Mickey
1: Bay, Gamboa. You know, it's, it might be the deepest division for genuine talent out there uh, you know for a while it was 147 135 looks stacked at the moment and that's without even going down to that level of like guys coming up like you know O'Hara Davis if he wants to come back down to that level and those sorts
2: of guys we haven't even looked at those guys yet we're not looking at Luke Campbell and Derry Matthews in that list
0: <laughs> okay uh, depths of talent that aren't reflected in my speaking skills uh, thanks at Dadoff Kieran for that one <laughs> Uh, we have an easier one now at John Hulan. He asks, what's next for Khan and Brook? Will we ever see them in the ring against each other? I doubt it personally. Which one of you wants to bat this away?
2: Uh, I think Brook will probably end up at one uh, five, four. I don't think he'll be going back down to welterweight. I think we'll see him at like middleweight there's talk of uh, Hearns kind of mentioned him going back down there to take on Errol Spence Jr I cannot see that happening in a million years you know certainly in terms of the IBF ordering that as his mandatory fight I think it's uh, sometime in October that they would need to come to an agreement on it which means it would then have to take place by back end of January I can't see Brook being back in a position where he's going to want to try and get down to welterweight to take on Errol Spence in his first fight back after the uh, the beating that he took off Golovkin. I can't see him wanting to do that, so I think we'll probably see him ending up at 154 ish. Um, who knows, Miguel Cotto, maybe Canelo, even. I don't think Liam Smith yet for it. I think uh, maybe down the line. As for Khan, who knows with Khan? Like, <laughs> I haven't got a clue what he's doing. I know he's had uh,
0: his... I'd like to just chip in here. Like, I, I'm, definitely, well, I'm definitely more of a casual fan than you two, right? And from my point of view, I have absolutely no interest in watching Khan fight again. Now, I don't know if that's reflected in the wider audience. You know, I'm, I'm sure it's mixed. But having watched him, it's almost like he is in almost like his, his own level, where he's better than a lot of them, but just not good enough to compete at the top. Garcia. He...
1: Why can't he fight Garcia? Um, I'm not sold on Garcia as an elite level welterweight yet. I think he's still living off what he did at 140 against Khan and Matisse. his um, PBC. PBC need the money so actually making this fight happen would be in their interests. If they can't make that fight happen, my instincts are they'll push for a fight with, with a thermal reporter. But I expect to see Khan in a challenging fight at 147. Once he feels he's cleaned up there, you know, he'll feel that normal story he does of yeah, I, I beat the man who's the man in the division. He'll go to one five four and go, Kel, let's do this. But then then Brook will start to go, "Well, I, I'm beyond you now. So
2: <laughs> I fought Golovkin,
1: yeah. You know, so so it, we'll have the same cat and mouse game. Yeah. Again at One five four. I I don't see these two fighting because I think Brook now realizes he doesn't need Khan for the money. Khan now realises he shouldn't have pissed Brook because he might just need him for the money.
2: I think the only time you're going to see them fight is when it's like a, a legends, a veterans fight and they're both over the hill. You don't necessarily need any titles on the line for it. Just a grudge match in five, six, seven years time that will see them both bow out of the sport. That's the only way I personally see them ever being in the same ring.
0: Ok, got some other questions. <clears throat> And thank yeah. you
2: for all the
1: questions. Yeah. we've got loads this week. I mean, it's
0: brilliant. We could do a listeners' special. So thank you to anyone. We're not going to so How many scorecards like Friday put off foreign champions from fighting in the UK? I scored it seven seven rounds to five. Relic. Um How often do the judges' instructions trainings favour either cleaner work or come forward pressure or always is it is it always, or is it always personal preference? Who's this from? Uh, all of these next ones are from Alex Kingsley at a-, a Kingsley 90.
2: I think Terry's probably the best person to speak about the judging side of it. Um, How much
0: does it put off foreign fighters, I suppose? Foreign fighters are put fights. off
2: fighting here because of the tax system.
1: That's the starting end of it. that's um, why Ward never came. It's probably why Mayweather never came. The tax system makes it uneconomic to fight here, especially if a person's 50-50. <laughs> the home fighter will take home more money than the American fighter, so it makes no sense. In terms of judging,
0: um, so so what what do they if they take fifty fifty and say that fifty percent is a million, how much do they lose? Forty percent tax. Right. Okay.
1: Over here, you lose forty percent. They're in almost
0: tax. getting a quarter of the fight purse, basically. Yeah, that's why. Even if they get fifty percent given to them,
1: this is this is why you don't get top level athletes coming here for anything meaningful like they had to have a different agreement for these guys coming to do the Champions League and stuff at the Olympics yeah they had to have special waivers because guys weren't going to come and pay their tax so so that's, that's one of the problems they have the second one is psychological people just don't rate this country so people are like well, why am I going over there they can come over here that's part of it but in terms of the judging remember a lot of fans talk about how they scored a fight afterwards you know score it during the bout and see how different it is. Because you can be there as a judge, and I've spoken to judges about this, you can score about, get to round eight and go, how have I got this guy winning? It doesn't. That's not the sense I get about the fight as a whole, but if I'm marking it round for round, then this guy is ahead. So sometimes you can have that where the scorecards and the reality of the fight can be slightly different. So you've got to have some sympathy with judges because they're judging in the moment. Like We watch stuff and we've got Jim Watt, Matt Macklin or whoever, Influencing us subconsciously. So.
0: But, but he's, he's. His sub question then says, How often are judges given instructions or training to favour certain. Uh, well, say, words so,
1: or so, the, so there are things, you know, if you're a WBC judge, you go on a WC judging course and there'll be things they favour. You know, at this moment, I don't know what they are, but it might be we favour aggression or, you know, we're going to give more, more credit to defence, making an opponent miss. And there are all of these things that happen, but over the years, do they
0: change? So, they like over time. Like, do you get a recent memo that says, "Oh, we're going to yeah, favor"? things right. things change. Just like they do in the amateurs, it changes because
1: boxing moves on, and what what fans respond to changes. So you know, we've just come out of the Mayweather era where people valued that defense, but there isn't anyone that defends that Mayweather at the moment. So we're going back to, you know, the more attacking style. So guys like Golovkin yeah. are going to get their credit now. Um, so it's. Judging's really complex like that, because it changes all the time, but what you can find generally is over time, if you look at judges' scorecards, you can then start to see who's broadly in line with the consensus, and who are the outliers.
0: Okay, on that then, another question that runs onto that is, what country is worse for robberies, or are they all as bad as each other on, their, on any given day?
2: <laughs> it always used to be Germany was seen as, uh, you know, you'd have to knock somebody out to get a draw, yeah. but you know, that's bollocks, frankly, now, like, we're as bad as anyone else, anyone else is as bad as everybody else, like, there isn't one, I don't think, that is more corrupt than the others, frankly, boxing works at all levels, in the sense that the home corner gets the favourable decisions, now, I was seeing last night, George Jupp was fighting down in Harrow, I didn't see it, because I was out with a wife for a birthday, um, but from everything that I've read, like, every independent, um, view on it, is that George Jupp, took a bit of a beating probably lost by four rounds maybe three rounds um, and yet came out of it with the draw um, I think that's from Charlie Rumble who put that the uh, the amateur coach I might be wrong um, and the pro coach and pro coach sorry yes, yes he's uh, he's working pro corners isn't he as well yeah. Um, but yeah I say it isn't just at like, like world title levels where having the home advantage you know it's more magnified at that level because it's on Sky and because it's a world title fight so somebody's flown over from You know, America or ever to the UK, and the UK fighter comes out on top. We think back to Ray Beltran versus Ricky Burns, where Ricky Burns got schooled and didn't fight for seven, eight rounds of the fight because his jaw was in two pieces. Like, the balls to keep doing that is fantastic, but he didn't win that fight, he didn't get anywhere near that fight, and yet he came away with a draw out of it um you know like it happens all over the place it happens in other countries it happens in small hall shows in this country the amount of small hall shows i've seen where you know the young prospect comes away with a 1 point win or a draw uh, against a journeyman who's clearly you know dominated every aspect of the fight it happens everywhere um you know we're as bad as anyone else
0: he is going to have a couple of, couple of questions but i think they presumed that the answer to that was going to be more than it doesn't really happen anymore um, so I'll just go to his last question which was with all the events that are happening um, in terms of the WBA heavyweight tournament what is the next mandated fight <laughs> it, is that, are they going to drop that or, or what <laughs> no. no
2: no idea no one wants it the, the, you know the,
1: the WBA is probably the lowest ranking of the belts first and foremost so you're a bit like whatever Look at look at the average age of the non-fury guys in that list. It is it's got to be over forty, right?
2: You've got Quendo Brown, Ortiz, Klitschko. No, Briggs wasn't in that tournament. But he's on the Uh, list. He's on the list. I'm talking about the tournament uh, specifically. Um, It's a load of fighters that shouldn't be holding a world title. Aside, you know, like (laughs) I don't know what's going to happen to it. I suspect it's going to go very, very quietly into the background whilst everybody goes about doing their own thing. Um, I can't see... You had a perfect opportunity to get rid of the WBA regular title when Lucas Brown wins it and then fails a drugs test, gets stripped of the title by the WBA. You have that opportunity then to throw the belt away and carry on with a new era whereby we're just going to have that one title. So you could eliminate that title at that point, but instead they're putting it back into circulation, granted maybe by the the law courts, I think. But irrespective, you could just say, look, our intention was to get rid of that title. Now we've stripped Lucas Brown of it. That title no longer exists. But they haven't. It's still going. That title will still be going in 10 years. That fucking tournament will still be going in 10 years. It's a joke.
0: Um. So just a quick question on what you said then, Terry. Could we have a list um, of, in order of, what would you say was the most respected belts, being that if your WBA was, I'm assuming you mean fourth, out of the four, what would you put them in? So my test is this. How often do you
1: stick to your own rules? Um, The IBF were number one for sticking to their own rules, and there's a very good reason why. They got slaughtered for having rigged rankings for Don King in the 80s so they are watched at a federal level. So, you know when you see the IBF sending out their letter going you need to negotiate this, every, every three months they'll do something and they always stick to their rules which you've got to give them credit for. So, they're the most credible in terms of making people fight. WBC comes second because it's the most prestigious, it's the oldest. The WBO, for what, being a British fan, has given us more of our world champions and more of our entertaining bouts than anyone else. And then the WBA for simply just being a basket case. I don't think it's Venezuela therefore. It's just an utter basket case of an organisation. Panama. I never know these things. About. Yeah. A, utter basket case of, of a governing body. So I personally, that, that's the order I'd have them in.
0: I have a question from Sam Khan at Blessed With Work. She said, what is your measurement for what makes a champion versus what makes you one of the best?
2: That's a fairly quick one. I think... Terry managed to answer this fairly comprehensively on Twitter the other day which given the limited number of characters is if you beat Hall of Famers if you you know a champion (laughs) holding a belt is one thing being a legitimate you know one of the best is beating other people that are seen as champions are seen as the best in your era in your divisions like moving up and down like if you beat other people with Hall of Fame CVs then you yourself can become a Hall of Fame and become one of the best
1: and this is why I said Ty- this whole Tyson being great thing is a myth, because if you go through the heavyweights so and you have Ali at one, I don't think anyone would dispute that. You could then to- argue the toss between Foreman and Frazier at number two, but all those guys fought each other. You know that they-, they defined their own careers by having those meaningful fights. You know who's fourth? It could be Joe Lewis. It could be Larry Holmes. Larry Holmes was part of that picture as well. But as you go down that list, all of these guys have fought in historically significant fights. You know. It helps that they were champions, but that's utter, that's almost irrelevant sometimes because it's about you know it's about that that career that legacy. That's why I've never been sold on this idea that you know people fight for belts. I'm like, but who who are you fighting for the belt? You know, and you've heard me say it on the podcast before. And I don't take shots at Joshua. I just always wanted Anthony Joshua to legitimize his world championship belt by giving us that one fight. We look at and go, you really had to earn that win, and then. You know, let's see if you actually have a champion's heart and a champion's will. You know, don't take the easy route. Uh,
0: Another question from Sam Khan. It's not... the apologies, Sam, but it's not the best phrasing of a question. Um, Could you do... I'm not even going to read it out the way it's written, but basically, can you do a comparative summary of the different boxing styles between different nations? Uh, Can
2: we keep this as quick as possible? It's a mad idea. This will be lengthy.
0: No, Um, we ain't
1: got time. Um, so thanks to Sam, you know you got a PhD man, sort sort the questioning out. Um, let's not look at it in terms of styles, because I think I think styles is a very lazy way to describe a lot of things, right? The idea that there's a Cuban style, there's a Cuban school of boxing. No, the Cuban, the whole Cuban thing came from one man's vision. It wasn't a oh this is a Cuban way to box. It was one man's vision on how he saw boxing working. Um, when you study the history it's very influenced by Africa so if you look at the African nations they all have similar ways of boxing you know it's not even so much about boxing just the way you fight and the idea is don't get hit you know start point don't get hit secondly then attack so the Cubans have that and they've refined it over years but if we look at it you know don't focus on styles focus on what are the great trainers because the great trainers are often the reason we call things styles. So you take guys like Ray Arcel out of New York. You know, so you, these are the guys they, they identify with the New York School of Boxing because they work with guys like Gene Tunney, all the way through to Roberto Duran and Larry Holmes. So there's a very you know, very much a New York, Pennsylvania sort of, you know, blue collar style. They're the Petronelli brothers who gave us Marvin Hagler out of Boston. You know, they have their own they have their own boxing philosophy. It's not Boston style though. In the same way that you look at Virgil Hunter, that's not a Oakland style. It's Virgil Hunter's take based on the number of trainers he's had around him. So there aren't distinct styles. It's a myth. There, there, there are trainers whose philosophy you might buy into, and you know that's that's really how you want to look at it. If you really want to understand boxing, follow the trainers and follow the lineage. Like you take Freddie Roach. Freddie Roach, pretty much inspired by Eddie Futch, and Eddie Futch's boxing philosophy was be adaptable at all times but the key thing is we make attacking fighters you know Joe Frazier front foot Ken Norton front foot same thing with Freddie Roach all Freddie Roach fighters are front foot um you know we could also talk on some trainers who some people lord but I think are overrated Mayweather senior thinks severely overrated Ronnie Shield severely overrated guys who are underrated as trainers for their philosophy Barry Hunter out of DC you know, I, I really respect what he does. Um, Nazim Richardson, who does his work with Hopkins. So, follow the trainers and their philosophies, and what you'll find is it's not regional, it's about what trainer came
0: from who. It's pretty comprehensive. Um, if you'd like to know more about that, we'll do a separate podcast on it. <laughs> um, but look, that was pretty comprehensive. That was pretty lengthy, but. Let, I just want a bit more information when it comes to our next question from you guys, if I'm completely honest, okay? What are your favourite crisp flavours? Now, I'll give you a few seconds to think about this. Is from uh, Will at WMichael83. So... What are your favourite Chris? I think we'll go for types as well. We've got to go for types in there as well, not just flavours. He's lighting a fucking fire with this question. Isn't <laughs> it? Absolutely lighting the fire. Uh, right, so I discussed this with my
2: wife actually before we came out. Now there's two answers to this. Like, if I had to pick in a shop, if I was in the co-op, I'd be picking the McCoy's uh, sweet Thai chili ones, whatever they're called. <laughs> so right. specific. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but they're not necessarily my favourite because my favourite is a beef. Uh, monster Munch <laughs> right but you get like six of them in a packet so if I'm in the shop I ain't buying those ones because those aren't going to keep me going they've the done McCoy's bigger one. bags now I'm not going to walk around with a fucking family sized bag
0: <laughs> <laughs> a Monster Munch <A>
2: multi-pack <laughs> like of special needs child
0: <laughs>
2: so no that's my that's my succinct answer is if I'm in a shop buying I'm going for the McCoy's Thai chilli one or if you're Thai hiding in your house
0: wanking you need a snack
2: yeah yeah if I'm hungry beef for Monster Munch yeah Beef Monster
0: Munch uh, uh, ok Dessert. what about if you're hi- hiding in a house wanking what snack do you choose?
2: what's <laughs> 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 your snack of <laughs>
0: <laughs> you choice do you have a crisp shame or are you just uh, happy to eat your crisps out in the open no, happy to eat them out in the
1: open oh, right. f- Favourite flavour. Um, and they take some finding, you really have to be plugged into the right shops. Sweet corn flavoured crisps. Now when Fuck I Fuck off! When what? I f- what when I first came to England, Marks and Spencer used to do sweet corn flavoured crisps. Then they stopped doing them. And it wasn't until I went into a Chinese supermarket and I found sweet corn flavoured crisps. Makes
2: the dog flavoured crisps. <laughs> 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 You're really gonna leave that in? You know? <laughs> we've got
1: we've got 712 listeners in China. <laughs> Ooh, we had. <laughs> yeah. No, sweet corn flavoured crisps Takes a lot of digging, but weirdly good, quite addictive. Um, when when I'm kind of compromised for time, then probably the the tangy Cheetos. You know the ones you get in the one pound yeah. bag, the curly ones.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah I quite like them. The, yeah, uh, it, what the flaming flaming hot ones? Yes. Yeah, addictive. they are
1: nice. Really like you don't you don't half packet those ones.
0: Andy? Uh, For me it would probably uh, to be honest it would be Flamin' Hot Monster Munch or but I I recognise that if I'm wanting to show any kind of like (laughs) any kind of uh, project anything other than looking like a special needs child as we've got walking around with one on each finger (laughs) (laughs) sucking my finger eating the toes off Um, them I think I'd probably if I had to just default pick a flavour it'd probably be something like salt and vinegar
2: oh fucking tragic oh that's lush tragic lush. basic <laughs> that's the that's the fucking Paul Smith do you know of what crisps I used, do you know what I used that's a like, Paul Smith of crisps I used to like
0: those burger bites you used to be able to get those like um, spherical like beef flavour they were hideous I don't know what was in them they sound like the Prince Patella of crisps well, what were the on. ones
1: there was you had you had quarterbacks little 10p packets of quarterbacks I'd, and all like cheeseburger flavours.
0: Yeah, I remember them, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: underrated.
0: What have we gone into? We've
1: gone down the rabbit no, hole. most
0: comprehensive answer of the day. Okay, final question from Scott McGee. More of a personal question for the pod team. What got you into boxing and at what age? Is it a fighter, a particular fight, family member, etc., or even your earliest boxing memory? Uh, My old man always, he's
2: been a a casual boxing fan, he watched the biggest fights on TV, so I grew up, uh, you know, I'm 34 in a few weeks, Um, I grew up of the era of watching Naz, Collins, Eubank, Ben uh, on ITV, you know, latterly moving on to Sky as Eubank kind of started to tour the world, so that was my era, Like growing up watching that. Uh, but mixing it with football, and then football was kind of more predominant. So that was probably, you know, that era of the sport and those kind of, uh, you know, greats or not otherwise, they'll always be greats to me. Like rose-tinted glasses and watching them in my childhood and watching Nas descend upon the carpet and, um, you know, those wars that you'd have, you know, Eubank going off and touring around the world fighting a load of shit for years. Uh, but that's what I was brought up on. That's what what kind of inspired me into it. Terry? Okay. Um, new age boxing.
0: <laughs> I knew nothing before I came on the pod. A week of research and here I am. <laughs> no, no,
1: um, so my dad was really into boxing. He boxed when he was younger. So I've grown up with all the stories of your, you know, the phrases, the, the, the form So I was always watching that when I was younger. Well, probably wasn't until I was about 15. So heading into year 11, my mates would all go, right, we're off to boxing. And we were, we were taught initially by a guy called Des Brackett, so anyone from Oxford will know who Des Brackett is. Legend, really nice guy, you know, well-schooled, so we were all well-schooled as youngsters, but I was crap. So, I mean, I had eight fights, lost two, and then failed the medical after that, so that was me, done. And it turned out I was better at rugby, so I didn't re-engage in boxing again till I went to university. And I was like, I'm not that far from the Ingle Gym, you know, here's a chance for me to go. And just be around all of that so all these guys like Kel Brook I've known since they were young you know all these okay. yeah all the kid Galahads. I've known all these guys from when they, they, they were kids as well so that that reinvigorated not just my love of boxing in terms of wanting to punch people in the face it was more because when you when you're in the Ingle gym you really talk about boxing so it's what's happening beneath the surface and all that sort of stuff so that's when I got deep into the science of it And you know, I started to look back and go, actually, look, what are the lost arts that people aren't sharing anymore? And that sort of morphed over the years as as my rugby career tailed off. I started getting back into boxing a lot more, which is why I know guys like Ian Lewison, Don McInldy, and those sorts of guys. Even guys like Leon Solid Williams, because you know that then became my generation at Fitzroy Lodge down in London. Anthony Small as well, all part of the same generation, and then. You know you get too old to keep taking punches to the head regularly then I just got into coaching that way under a guy called Mick Carney and you know Mick's record in the sport is without question he's a great man and he taught me a lot about boxing itself but he gave me the values so it was good to get those old school values instilled in me and I hope you know you carry those on and I guess that kind of brings me to where I am now an aborted four year spot stint at another boxing club which I excelled, but I don't know if they did, and that brings me to where I am. So I guess,
2: he's on the free transfer market,
1: Yeah. anyone that wants to win stuff man, just hit me up on Twitter, if you want to win stuff, medals, belts, whatever it is. Let's go
2: pro Terry, fuck it, I'll get my second's license, me and you in the corner. (laughs)
1: Let's do it. Well
2: well, for all the Goodwin fighters.
0: (laughs)
1: Yeah! Yeah alright, anyone else want to be involved, let's do that, but essentially, it's been a long journey up and down. Slightly jealous of the guys who just saw it all the way through, but that's life. And like you know, you find your passion in life. Boxing appeals to a lot of the things I'm about, and you know, I get to share a lot of these things with you guys. You know, I can't talk about rugby the way I can talk about boxing, which is weird because I had far more rugby games than I did boxing games. For me,
0: I mean, I'm. I'm, as I've said on the pod before, even in this one, I'm more of a casual fan, certainly more so than these two guys. Bit of history, when we started this podcast up in the first place, Martin had started up the website, and I just—I did it more as a creative outlet, if anything, and uh, soon became profoundly obvious that Martin knew buckets more than I did about, about boxing. Having said that, in the last 14, 15 months that we've been running this podcast, I've learned it's like it's, it's an education in itself sit on this podcast every week and listen to these two guys um you start thinking that lewison's gonna beat white and shit <laughs> like you know that <laughs> lewison can't possibly lose and then he turns no up refunds. <laughs> and you think oh my god who's he eaten what are they is he eating golovkin and that's why they think he's gonna have superpowers <laughs> um but yeah I, to be honest my earliest memories like Similar in a in a fashion to Martin like my uh, my parents into sort of like casual casual fandom to some extent I remember watching uh, Bruno's fights when I was really young my favourite boxer at that sort of period uh, or around that sort of period was Nassim Hamid just it was just a, such a showman that always sort of resonated with me but I never really got back into boxing until Martin started coming up with the, with the website etc and sort of got into it that way so I think, and I'd like to keep it that way, really, so that I I am somewhat a casual sitting within the podcast. I think it gives us more of a more of a rounded sort of opinions.
2: And he's so our common yeah. man.
0: Yeah, so to speak. Oh, the nicest thing that's ever been said to me. Okay. No, I mean,
2: you've got STD and you've yeah. Tinder. <laughs> yeah, that's, it, yeah. <laughs> that's how common I'm talking. <laughs>
0: Brief monster munch. <laughs> um. Right I suppose All that's left then Is argue the unarguable Fuck
2: me Right It never
0: goes away Um, Right there's a certain Twist on it this week Because you've only Made one up Because I've only Made one up uh, I'm going to give you One subject And basically You're going to have A minute between you To argue the positives Of it Alright So With a minute Who's starting? I don't know. depends. who wants to start, neither. No,
1: no, you can't. You can't be. Okay, deaf. Martin.
0: Martin can start first. All right, all right, yeah. He's first in the alphabet. That'd do. So, first name w- or
1: surname is <laughs> the
0: worst. <laughs> the worst thing that could have possibly happened to boxing was the heavyweight titles getting split up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, the problem is, I actually agree with it.
2: Like, <laughs> do you go? Go on then. <laughs> I do agree when it. Was better. About- it's held by one person because you legitimised it like what's the point in having all these belts like flooding around and being able to be picked up by Anthony Joshua by beating Charles Martin like I've lost track if I'm fucking arguing the right thing or not so whatever <laughs> I didn't understand the question I still don't understand the question Terry hates the feature so he won't come in yeah, at Yeah. so the point is it is better when they were held by Klitschko it was better when they were held there because of the fact that you knew who the champion was now we've got spurious Champions all over the place, beating Charles Martin, beating whoever Charles Martin beat for the title. It's bollocks. So let's have some uniformity within the division. I'll let's go. Let's,
1: go back, to, let's go back to. to let's go back to. Let's go back to Stalinist Russia. In the <laughs> That's
0: good. That's Mate, good. Yeah. us where most heavyweight yeah. stories start. <laughs> yeah.
1: Let's let's go back to that where one man controlled everything and committed vast crimes against humanity. Man, Brian Jennings. <laughs> what? Brian, what the fuck? Brian Jennings, Kubrat <laughs> Pulev. Pavetkin, um, Samuel <laughs> Peter, just absolutely destroying people, just walking the earth like some people say, like a god, you know, spreading his communist idea that everything should
2: benefit. Who was uh, it? Was a New Zealander they took apart? <sighs> Alex Leopold. Yeah, wow, what a fight that was. You know, the, uh, uh,
1: when 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 the heavyweight divisions in a dictatorship, the bottom line is this: yeah, there is bloodshed, and fans love
0: to see bloodshed. <laughs> 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 All right, I guess that's it. We stumbled over the line. Everything wrapped up in a neat little package. No, no wait, 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 do we need to rant? I might need to rant. About you've just you've this literally just ranted about four times in the entire pod. Could this you one, possibly no, have no, left no, this to one, rant
1: about? Well, it's so, not empty. <laughs> <laughs> now nah, so so uh, I've heard this. Like, there's a campaign to introduce more weight classes for female boxers under the guise of equality. They should be the same weight classes for women that they are for men. Now, I have a big issue with this because, you know, 51 kilograms, Nicola Adams. If you look at Nicola Adams, she could be an athlete in any sport. You know, boxing is just what she happens to find herself in. She looks like an athlete. The problem is when you get to 81 kilograms, I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen what light heavyweights look like in the pro ranks, you know. You get women like Victoria Nansen over in New Zealand who looks like she's a house and hasn't done any kind of training. But look like Ian Lewison, and that's not to take a dig, but... Nah, nah, that's not but, But in essence, you know, we're now moving to this world where, you know, women's boxing hasn't matured to a point where it deserves all of those weight categories And in time I think they should come, but at the moment, no one can name 10 women who look athletic at 81 kilos or above Because it's just very difficult to establish, and those that do, go into sports that pay more money because they have massive advantages
0: well, that was actually a pretty conservative rant, if I'm honest. Um, good, yeah, well, that's that's brilliant uh, <laughs> for a Terry rant. That was good, well held back. A mellowing <laughs> All right, well, there was all that's left to say to you, uh, dear listener. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. No one else got anything to add? No, ask more
1: questions, man. Come on, you guys get. Oh because yeah, you didn't have enough yeah. this week. Get deep into the science of stuff, man. You know, look, look, let, let's show that we are not only the best podcast but we're also the most knowledgeable audience there is out
0: there Apologies yeah, if you listen to this on the way to work and it normally takes an hour and you've had to go around the roundabout 98 no nah, you, you haven't listen
1: to it on the way back as well <laughs> you know you've had a bad day at work whatever but you, know, you listen to us you try and have a good day it doesn't work out that way listen to us again have a good evening we really help you out so I'm sure you
0: know by now but any new listeners contact us at at new age boxing UK or at the Seven Wolves uh, they're probably most the best ones to contact us no nah, New Age Podfather
2: replies yeah. all he the is time. absolute shit do not bother contacting Andy if you
0: contact me I will reply maybe 1% of the time uh, delayed by a couple but of days so. Andy34 Tinder he responds for all <laughs> the <ones>. everything <laughs> uh, so yeah thank you very much for listening and I guess we'll see you next week yeah and again thank you for your questions for the week it was good thank you I'm a good
1: guy,